from deep in the heart of Central Texas, it's the Best of the Outdoors podcast. Brought to you by Texas Fishing Game Magazine, the voice of the Texas outdoor nation. I'm your humble host, Dustin Vaughn Warnke, author, outdoor writer, videographer, speaker, blogger, podcaster. Man, am I excited that you are here joining us today, tuning into the show. Thank you so much for watching, reading, listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast and hitting the subscribe and notification button on YouTube to get all of our videos and uh, podcasts and stuff like that. And I just can't thank you so much again for joining. You may be hearing a little bit of a sound difference because I'm on a mobile microphone, a Yeti Blue, which is a USB-powered microphone. And I'm in my backyard, which is the best of the outdoors, where I got my start with archery and, um, and hunting and all that other fun stuff that I do out here. I've recorded quite a few videos in my backyard, so you may... Uh, It may sound familiar to you, but um, I just wanted to test this out mobily because what we're going to do next is uh, take this show on the road, literally, and go to uh, SHOT Show here in January and uh, move the the whole, take the whole recording studio with us in one microphone and a USB uh, plug and uh, use my laptop to record shows. So I'm really excited about that because I'm going to be with Chester Moore. And I've got a great interview this week with Chester Moore about CWD, chronic wasting disease, um, uh, whitetail hunting and whitetail biology, as well as whitetail species, which Chester's a wildlife expert. Love talking to him about that. And um, also about uh, high fences, which is a big controversial topic. We can dive into that. And I've never spent this much time in one sitting on a podcast with Chester. So this is a first, and this is probably one of our best podcasts together as well. So I'm really, really excited about having the opportunity to share this with you today. Here is my interview with Mr. Chester Moore from Texas Fishing Game, our editor-in-chief. Joining me on the phone is Mr. Chester Moore, Jr. from Texas Fishing Game, our editor-in-chief. How are you doing today, Chester? Man, I'm doing good. It feels a little bit uh, fallish outside as we're getting into winter. And um, it's a great day to be alive and great day to talk the great outdoors. No, that's great. I always enjoy talking to you and catching up with you on these podcasts that we do. I think you, out of all my guests, have been on the show the most. Um, and I like that because you and I share a lot of similar values, you know, Christ kids and critters, which is your thing. You know, I've kind of adopted that thing, you know, conservation and, uh, getting kids involved in the outdoors and, uh, just all the different things that the wildlife world encompasses, you know, and fishing and hunting for sure. Yeah. It's always great to be on your podcast and to share the common vision of, uh, where this outdoors industry work in is headed and also where the outdoors industry that the listeners play in is headed yes absolutely and i think those are all good concepts there so in this show we're going to kind of talk a little bit about whitetail hunting since we're nearing the end of uh of of general season at the end of december and then we have a special antlerist and spike season at the beginning of january runs to about the middle of january and my plan is to get my son out in the woods uh on a hog uh between now and christmas and then i've got a friend that i'm going to take michael foster he's been on the show a couple of times i'm going to take him um uh, uh hog hunting and then um i've got a uh property in mason that we hunt on a lot that i'm going to try to take my son hunting for uh for a white-tailed deer and at least get him involved in the you know blood on the tailgate kind of stuff so <laughs> you know that's what i've been well doing. you know it's definitely um a, a rich tradition in texas with um you know a lot of people engaged uh in in hunting in texas i mean whitetail hunting is um, something that is basically the foundation of that part of the industry yes. in the state of Texas. But um, that whitetail deer, actually, in my opinion, 
yeah. gets kind of overlooked just being it's 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 overlooked for its wildlife values almost i mean the white-tailed deer is the most successful large animal species on the planet i mean if you take if you take the feral hog which was introduced into america and take introduced into australia and you know it takes suscrofa out the only candidate for the most successful animal in the world as far as a large mammal goes is um the white-tailed deer good point and and i think that's uh that's a testament to good conservation because our numbers are certainly, you know, different than what they were back in the day. The education has been different because back in the day you didn't shoot anything, any does, you only shot bucks, and we know that's not the right way to manage it now. And I mean, a lot of a lot has changed in that world for the better. You know, wouldn't you agree? Well, if you look at if you look at a hundred and basically a hundred and almost eighteen years, you know, nineteen hundred, the estimates were five hundred thousand white tails scattered throughout North America. Right. Now you have four counties in Texas that supersede that number altogether. <laughs> Only four counties. four counties. And I forget which ones, but I believe it's Gillespie, Lano, Mason, and one other one. And all four of those combined have more than the whole continent had uh, in 1900. years ago. Yeah, wow. You know, so there's something that's been done right. Uh, I, I honestly think some of it was just default. Sure. Um, I, think, I think some of it was market hunting disappeared. Um you know, that whole concept was a bad idea, market hunting. And you then you had the game warden start, and that's what made the big difference. But um, I don't think anybody knew what they were doing, you know. <laughs> In the early days, yeah. I don't, I don't think they knew what they were doing. I think they I think they gave the whitetail a gap, and the whitetail walked right through it and occupied it, yep. you know. You know, because they're so resilient. I mean, they're, they're incredible. I've seen – uh, large trophy bucks in the city of Houston and in in, in, uh, near the city of Dallas and, and San Antonio. And, you know, uh, I was just in Branson, Missouri, in the middle of Branson, and right behind this place is about a, you know, a 130-class buck looking at me <laughs> right in the city limits, right behind one of the theaters, you know. So, you know, they're very, very successful animal. And if you look at where whitetail are headed trajectory-wise – Versus where the mule deer, which is the deer of the West, right. are headed, it's completely different. We're talking mule deer, like huge declines in mule deer numbers. Mm -hmm. And then we've had these – we're going to be declining in whitetail numbers soon. It can't sustain development, habitat loss. You'll see some declines, but I don't foresee uh, you know, the whitetail deer, um, unless some kind of crazy disease outbreak were to happen, um, ever going below – huge numbers in america again yeah no that's a good point and i was just teaching my son the other day we almost hit a about an eight point buck on the uh, 183 coming home the other day from uh, the ranch that i work with and the crazy thing was is i almost hit him and it was really surreal and i said jackson you know i was telling my son jackson i said this is what happens with landscape development is the deer don't have any other place to go because he was asking yep. why is that deer out here on the highway and i said son they're you know check the interstate they're littered with them you know, and landscape development, when I learned back in Hunter's Education, is one of the biggest, you know, um, uh, devastators of, of the whitetail population. Is that still the case? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have uh, other than cyclical drought, right. which whacks everything, yes. it's definitely the development side because the deer do okay around human habitation. And there are even certain areas and certain spots where you'll actually have the potential to boost deer, maybe less cover because we plant things and we make things even more bountiful in some areas. Sure, sure. However, when roads are cut through, 
no matter what happens. Now, you can't just, you know, obviously deer can't live on concrete. But at the same time, if you have green belts, deer can thrive, but you start having highways and stuff, and then, you, then that's where you really start getting problems. There are probably millions of whitetail road killed every year in America. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's at least, you know. Um, and, and that's the funny thing about how all that works is that my grand, my, uh, Jackson's grandparents, my in-laws live in a subdivision in Georgetown next to Sun City and they, they, they're thicker than thieves there, man. And they have no natural predators and they don't grow very big though, Chester, when it comes to the size of, now the bucks get decent, but as far as the body growth, uh, is stunted because there's so many of them in a concentrated landscape developed area. Yeah, you'll definitely see some, uh, you know, some size decline in areas like that. You know, I just had a, 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 an article that was published at fishgame.com. I've written about it some own properties. I've been on this topic for about three to four years. I know, yeah. Of micro whitetails. Yeah. Um, back uh, when I was a kid, I remember my uncle, the late Jackie Moore, telling me about a deer lease that my, him and my dad were on in San Saba County. And they, right near the city of San Saba area, and they... My uncle talked about seeing a deer cross the road that was the size of a yearling, the first year fawn, but a fully developed eight point rack. Interesting. Mature looking buck. And uh, it was just really intriguing. And he said it was broad daylight and it blew his mind. And right before my dad passed away, I was sharing that story with him. He goes, Oh, that was his brother. He said, Oh, no, I don't know why I ever told you, but I saw those deer that size and at least several times. Huh. So that made me think about the idea of like dwarfism and whitetails, right. you know, uh, these really small deer that pop up a population. So I put a blog out a couple years back soliciting information. I had a hunter in Michigan talk about here's a deer on a skinning rack. It's kind of hard to tell for skill, but he says it was way, way smaller than the rest. Had numerous accounts. There's some hunting forums where people talk about these deer. And finally, we had a reader send a photo. Go to fishgame.com and look up the uh, article on micro deer from a game camera and in the foreground and you know about photography that if yes. something's in the foreground it will appear larger than it is in right. scale to other things yes so there's a buck what looks like a six point rack in the foreground that looks like a poodle like a standard <laughs> poodle size and there's a doe behind it probably 10 yards or so that mm -hmm. looks infinitely bigger this is a really tiny little deer and this is a legit it's no photoshop work it's a game camera photo mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there are people they're reporting seeing these really mysterious little micro deer. You know, you can't tell on a, on a, on a doe because, you know, it, it could be a first-year fawn, you know, or whatever like that. But if you, if you have something the size of a standard poodle with a fully developed rack, you know, there's something going on genetically there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of those kind of mysteries that will, that will, that will sort of haunt a hunting camp forever, right? Yes, Absolutely. Always wondering about the mystery of the micro deer. You know, the smallest subspecies, and that's the thing. People think white-tailed deer. There are many subspecies of, of white-tailed white deer. That's why they look different and, up uh, in the northeast. In Texas, yeah. there, there's the Avery Island, which is where I live, in the southeastern Texas, along parts of the coast, into central Louisiana. Um, you have the Texas whitetail, the Kansas whitetail, and I believe there's one more. Oh, the Carmen Mountain whitetail. The Carmen Mountain whitetail is the second smallest subspecies of whitetail in the world. Um, the first being the very famous key deer. Yes. They're sending out in the Florida Keys, which are about the size of a of like a Great Dane or a or a far or height or maybe even a standard poo. They're very small. Oh, like and, a large um, dog, basically, right? Yeah, a large saying, dog, yeah. but that's big as they get. And there's only right. fourteen hundred of those guys 
in existence. And uh, I was really worried about them during the hurricane that hit because of, you know, the huge storm surge and the, and the, and the oh, catastrophic yeah. potential down there. Um, I've always had a soft spot for the key deer and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said they know they lost 56, I guess 56 they knew of that you know, they found dead, but they were still, they didn't wipe them completely out. And um, that's good to hear. But we have the Carmen Mountain Whitetail that's indigenous to parts of the Trans-Pecos and also into Mexico, which is a little bit bigger than the key deer, but not much bigger. Right. No, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and if you think about it, I mean, um, there are, there's probably not a whole lot of pure subspecies of whitetail left. And the reason is because deer were stocked in so many places when deer were depleted. Like in East Texas, where I live, the deer here come from South Texas mm-hmm. because of, you know, the, the, the deer got so low in population and stuff like that. So they stocked deer from South Texas. So, but there is, there's actually an endangered species, two endangered species of whitetail deer. There's a really? Colombian white-tailed deer, and then there is the key deer. So uh, a lot of people just think see a white tail as a white tail, but it's definitely there's definitely a lot of variety there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, that's very educational to our audience because I, I can almost bet that a lot of folks didn't know to that detail of of the different subspecies of white tail that we have in Texas, for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's many more throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there are definitely areas that have pockets where you could probably find the real genetic. You know, Carmen Mountains would be one of them. The Key Deer would be one of them. Uh, some of the more isolated areas in, in, where, where the, you know, the whitetail exists out west, you would have some of that stuff. But uh, a fascinating species, a lot to them, you know. And um, something else we've been writing about are the ghost deer and the mysterious whitetails that, that people have been reporting, you know. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I remember hearing about a ghost deer for the, uh, my uh, some of my family saw. They said it was a ghost deer on a lease we were on in Menard when I was a junior in high school, mm. and uh, it was white. They said it looked like a doe. My initial suspicions were actually that it was probably a white fallow deer, because there are a lot of exotics that are beyond f- fences. Yes. And um, but there are white whitetails. There are albino whitetails. And there are just white whitetails called leucistic whitetails. They don't have the white, the pink eyes, you know. And so there's a lot going on with that too. That's all. That's an amazing thing for, a, you know, someone out in the woods to discover. Is you see this beautiful white something about a white majestic animal. It's always the white buffalo. It's been fascinating, yes. you know. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I would sit in my dad's lap and I would we put together scrapbooks. And I recently found one of these scrapbooks, by the way. And it was um, different wildlife from around the world. And I would cut things out of sports or field and field and stream and outdoor life and zoo books and all kind of stuff. And uh, had a picture of a white whitetail with blue eyes that was taken to Seneca Army Depot Goodness. In, uh, in upstate New York. Well, 15 years ago, I got to venture, or 14 years ago, I got to venture up there with our hunting editor, now hunting editor, Lou Marillo. Right. And I, I mentioned those deer. I was hunting up there with him, and I mentioned those deer. He goes, oh, we got, I'll take you there. And on the way, because they're behind a giant high fence protecting the army base, right? Mm. I said, you ever see them beyond the fence? He goes, no, nah, never. Before we got there, we saw, I spotted two of them beyond the fence. Wow. And that was kind of cool. So they're not albinoed. Yes. Which is partial albinism. I actually saw a piebald deer. Um, I've heard of those, out, but I've never really seen one. It was out in one. Edwards County, and it was in 1992 on a ranch called the Greenwood Valley Ranch. Mm-hmm. An absolutely stunning area. 
um, not too far from the famous Y.O. headquarters, mm-hmm. you know, probably 20 miles down the road. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful area. Unbelievable amount of axes deer. And glassing this hillside, we saw a herd of whitetail, and there was a piebald. And it was in May. It could have been a buck or a doe because it was at a distance, but it was definitely a piebald. Sometimes those are called calicos. Right. Um, a calico deer, but it's, it's a white zone. And then what's interesting, since this is Texas-centric, is the fact that there's a pocket of Texas where there are numerous black whitetails, melanistic whitetails. Interesting. Uh, spotted. And the epicenter is very near you, my friend, between basically between like Dripping Springs and then you go down towards San Marcos. Mm-hmm. That little area, you draw a straight line between those areas in there. Every melanistic black whitetail photo that I've gathered or that we have accounts of are in that area right there. That's amazing. You know, if you think about blow somebody's mind, you know, you see this majestic deer walk out and holy smokes, that's a whitetail, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always cool. It reminds me of God's creativity. Yes. You can go out in the woods and have my mind blown, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, no one can be sitting there talking about, well, this is, you know, that's not a legitimate deer because it's only, it may be black, but it's only, you know, 29, hope, uh, Boone and Crockett. And, right. You know, unless it's 30 or above, it shouldn't even be looked at. It's not know? even considered a trophy or anything. Yeah. We I know could exactly go down that mean. route, but yep. in my idea, that is a worthy animal of adoration. All of them are, but just that rarity, the fact that that animal made it to adulthood, it is so different. Yes. It's really, really, really cool. And opens it up. I remember as a kid going hunting for the first time, and I, my dad had a lot of respect for nature and liked to hunt. We were taught not to, you know, don't shoot it unless you're going to eat it. Yes. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing, you know. And uh, grew up with a real respect for it. And my dad had a real love for the whitetail. You know, he loved the hunter, he loved to eat them. We love to photograph them and watch them. And uh, I remember just having a reverence for the animals growing up. Mm-hmm. And my dad taught me that, but it wasn't just dad taught me that. I, I really, I took to it. You know, it was like, what incredible animals. And I think at some point we have devalued the value of the actual animal and made it just down to measurement of bone. Yeah, no, you're right. I brought that up on the show plenty of times, Chester. And the thing yep. is, it's about the experience, in my humble opinion, and yours too. I know because I listen to your show, you know, on KLVI. I just the more I look at it, and the more I do this show, the more I realize that man, it's about the experience. It's not just about bone. It's not just about antlers. It's not just about um, you know all those things that so many hunters put on a pedestal. You know, I'm gonna give you a story. I actually have two stories about this. That that, that you know, there's a dark side the hunting industry that no one in the industry wants to talk about. And I don't mind talking about it because it's one thing to talk about the animal rights people. They're an easy target. But sometimes in, in your own camp, you have to expose idiocy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Sure. And um, while the vast majority of licensed hunters are, are, are ethical people who really care about having great renewable resources, there are knuckleheads in the bunch, too. You can read the Texas Parks and Wildlife reports and see the yes. amount of posters. We had those at fishgame.com in some cases. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we ran one last week because there was some guy rent, uh, poaching on the side of the woods naked or something. It was crazy. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> we, we had to run that story. I'm like, dear Lord. 
You never know what you're going to run into in the woods. No. Much scarier than running into a bear or some naked yes. guy with a gun. You know? Yes, exactly. It's a horror movie. But I digress. Um, I had a guy that I knew who had land in, I believe it was McMullen County, the Golden Triangle. You know, McMullen, Webb, and I think, I forget what the other county is, that are ones that have produced all these giant, giant bucks in South Texas. And this was, there were high fences back then. This was in the mid-90s, but not nearly what there is now. I mean, the vast majority of South Texas is a high fence now. You know, Right and um he bow hunted and i said how was your season he goes it was terrible and i went i can't imagine this guy on his place he had like a thousand acres and it was in a great area it had a, i couldn't imagine this man having a horrible season he just didn't register that that was a possibility yes. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and he said well what would happen he said well you know i had this buck scoped out and i shot it but i just knew it was a 150 it only taped out to like 148 <laughs> two inches off <laughs> somebody missed the point there you and know. i'm like i said yes yeah, so that's stupid i said my that's a gigantic deer you know yes well i mean uh, i got standards and i'm like no not mine whatever your standards are pal are not my standards. right yeah. and then there's another example that i don't the writers share with me of a, a place that was it was a high fence place and this guy uh sees a deer he's on a guided trip and he says uh, uh you know is that deer it was a 150 number too something about that number 150 is where people get excited yeah and he said he wanted to uh shoot a 150 or better and there's this giant buck and the guy said he says you think that's a 150 you think it's a 150 and the guide said uh man i don't know he's close he said you know you can't get it exactly you know we haven't measured this deer you know but he's close he's a giant awesome he's got to be at least 150 to shoots him because uh, as soon as they get the deer down on the ground, they measure it out. And the green score was like literally like 149. Mm. And the guy kicked, started kicking the deer. Oh, man. And he was asked to leave the ranch. <sighs> Rightly so, too. I yeah. mean, yeah. I'd, I would take him, tell him to leave the ranch and then put wanted posters in the city if he shows up again. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, so there's that side of it. And that's why I always try to celebrate the experience. Yes. Talk about the majesty of an animal that has come back in such incredible numbers and the unique anomalies like micro deer, ghost deer, and melanistic deer, and piebald deer. Let people realize the celebration of the white-tailed deer is a really incredible thing and that they are a worthy, incredible, incredible yes. adversary. And what a rich source of high, of, of high protein, mm-hmm. low-fat, low-cholesterol protein. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the thing I've talked about on this show many times is about it's just about getting outdoors and getting it done. It's not always just about a meat haul. It's not always just about a trophy antler. I mean, it's just and you and I both agree on this. It's about celebrating God's creation. And that's really what you do when you take into account things like you're talking about instead of just, well, I didn't kill the big booner that was 170 you know, inches or whatever, you know. And the thing is, this is translated to. The general public, not just the rich and haughty. That's true. You know, um, I've, I've had numerous people on my show on KLVI call me over the years, and I, and I talk about the subject about once a year sure. um, during, during deer season. And they've been made fun of for shooting deer that are not, you know, these trophy deer. They're perfectly legal, even legal on their lease rules, but they didn't make the lease guys, uh, you know, that, that almost makes me just want to, you know, I don't really hunt deer much anymore. See my last year on the lease. I don't really have that much time. I'm gonna spend my time working on the conservation element of the, of yes. the whitetail and those animals uh, when I can. But uh, 
makes me just want to start, you know, doing a dough only thing. Like, you know, like we're going to start the dough scoring system or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> only, only doughs. Like, I, like only doughs and like, and like you got to have, it, it, do it by ear size. I was about to say yeah. ear size, Chester. I swear. I was just about to say that. That's hilarious. There you go, man. Ear size. <laughs> ear have, size. Like, I got this big old wide ears. <laughs> the Texas Dough Association. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and like that, and, and then, and then, and then have special awards for spikes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, it's, it gets ridiculous. Cause you no, know, here's, here's the truth. The only thing, there's two things, only two things that can stop someone today from killing a monster, mm-hmm. monster deer, mm-hmm. money, money. Yes. And then the willingness to want to shoot something behind a high fence. That's a very good point. And, that's it. Yeah, and, and, that's and right. I have nothing wrong with the hunt fence thing. I'm just saying is there are people who don't would rather just go hunt a white tail in open range, you know. Well, and so yeah. if, if you don't mind that and you got the money, there is nothing you can have the biggest buck you can afford. It's just the amount of money you're going to spend. I had a big conversation the other day with one of the guys that I hunt out with, the Mason, and you know he's very generous. Lets me come hunt there every year, and I love the guy. I really do. He's but we had a long conversation about um, CWD and about high fences, and he said, you know, I don't want high fences because those deer can touch noses, and CWD could be transferred from a high fence to my deer herd, and then I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I see that side of it, but at the same time, I work for a high fence game ranch on the side and do a lot of work yeah. for them. And I don't, I don't see the issues that, that, you know, I understand with whitetail is one thing, but without high fences, we don't have the exotic population that we have today, you know? Well, the, the high fences aren't going anywhere because no. the regulations in Texas are based on rich landowners. Absolutely. That's a good Whatever point, Whatever rich landowners work with politicians, that's what, that's what the law is. Mm-hmm. It don't have anything to do with me and you, right? That's no. what the law is. No, that's a good point. Um, so that's not going anywhere. Um, and it may ruffle feathers, but it's a fact that they they control the whole deal in Texas. Anyone who thinks the white tail deer is still a public resource is very naive. Yeah, well, and it's like my dad says, you know, the golden rule is the man that has the gold makes the rules, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that he, I borrowed that from him. He borrowed from somebody else. No, but, that's I mean, that's, quote, that's the truth, it's, though, you know? That's legit, it's very legitimate, you know? <laughs> and so that's what happens there. Uh, what do you think about the CWD thing, Dustin? I think it's a concern, but I think that the reaction to that concern is certainly – a little bit overzealous if you want my humble opinion about it and yeah. um you know as far as you've got to shoot because this year i was invited on the hunt and it didn't end up happening because the the outfitter was kind of a a jerk but um they needed I can't to, imagine that yeah exactly they <laughs> they they came up with uh 15 deer that they needed to take off for chronic wasting disease testing and um you know they wanted to get their first 15 the problem is they wanted us to shoot does none of the hunters ever saw does that went before me and all i saw was bucks well, that's and, a problem to have. <laughs> you know, and, and then this guy was wanting to shoot our deer for us and bring us the meat. And I'm like, no, that's not a hunt, dude. You know, I mean. Can I talk a, to this guy? <laughs> that's another story. You I, know. Don't, I don't have much schedule. He wants to shoot that's the right, deer That's me. right. Yeah. Does he have the right tags where he can shoot all the deer he uh, wants? And MLD tags, you know, as you well know. Yeah, he can um, do what he wants with those tags. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's they give them a bunch, they, especially for high fences in MLD. But, you know, I, I've got – I see both sides of the CWD thing what i'm trying to say chester how about you yeah i'm kind of in the same boat you know um my good friend ted nugent's way 
anti-CWD regs and Keith right. Warren, another guy I know. Yes. A lot of those folks are, and I see their point. But I've also done the research, and CWD has caused problems in other states. Oh, sure it has. Um, Absolutely. My thing is this. I don't know why Texas has jumped on it the way they did. I almost wonder if they know something about it that we don't know. Yeah, and they're not letting it out of the bag. Yeah, that's yeah, a good I point. Wonder, I've thought about of, that before. I have thought about that. Is there some bit of information? Is this thing about to morph? Is there is there is there something? I don't know. Uh, I think we need to be precautious, but I think maybe some of these things are – or out of control as well. You know, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, and, and I'm not one to jump right in the middle of usually I'm on one side or the other or something. But right. I, I'm also like I just keep thinking the journalist in me goes, I wonder if there's something that they maybe can't prove yet, but they're very concerned about. Yeah, that makes me think that, you know, you know I think it's a very valid. Uh, you point. know, I saw I saw an elk on a high fence ranch in uh, south of Bandera last year in the summer. I'm pretty sure it was dying of CWD. Mm hmm. And it looked like what I've seen. Yep. He was on the, he was on the side of the road. I mean, he was fading away. Right. You know, and I passed him three times in two days. He was always walking around, stumbling around. Um, it looked really crazy. You know, uh, you know, this brings up something. The Some of the real concern for CWD comes with um, mule deer. Yes. You know, and the mule deer population has been just decimated in the West the last few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the drought situations have just plummeted in them and the rise in mountain lion populations hasn't helped. And also the rise in hunter numbers, uh, you know, they're not going to cut back a whole lot of hunting permits in those states. No, they're hard enough to get as it is to the lottery and the draw and all that other stuff. Yeah. So nothing against that, but but you gotta, I've always wondered how come there's not a high fence mule deer operation in the trans Pecos. Mm -hmm. I've wondered that. You think there'd be a dozen of them because I got news. Somebody producing monster um, mule deer could just write their price. Right. You know? Yeah, that's uh, true. That's a good point. Because monster muleys, I'd love to kill a monster muley one of these dude, days. Dude, I, I just want to see a monster muley. Uh, exactly. For me. Yeah. I found the, uh, on the Sacramento River two Decembers ago, went and visited my friend Hallie and her husband. Um, Adam took me out for just a cruise down the Sacramento River. And there was just one spot that we were, uh, he said, we can see a lot of a deer and they have blacktail there. You know, yes. And I have a picture of about a 130, 140 class dead blacktail. Whoa. And it was a monster, man. And, and it had obviously died in the rut. Uh-huh. I thought a mountain lion killed, but I looked at the neck and there was one puncture wound and there was no neck breakage or anything. I think it just been killed fighting the rut. But it was it was like it was like crazy. I've seen tons of monster whitetails, but this was majestic, a blacktail, you know. So uh, there's a lot. See, we're using words like beautiful and creation and majestic, and um, those are the kind of things we ought to throw around about something so incredible. Just the fact that this is a species that supports an industry. Yes, um, it's true. Um, and you could take away turkey. You could take away waterfowl. Take away all small game, and you could still have an industry. You take away a whitetail, it's gone. Yeah, that's right, because it's all built around. In fact, I would venture to guess that the whitetail business is really, or the exotic hunting business is built on the whitetail shoulders. Because, oh, no doubt. Because, you know, what I understand how high fences started was there, uh, let's say it's a river ranch or, you know, some huge giant ranch in Texas that had a road cut through it. They basically put the high fences up, and this is the way I understand it, to protect deer yeah. from jumping in the road. 
yeah. and to keep them to keep them you know contained. Obviously, it's used for more management and breeding and that kind of stuff now. But I wrote an article about high fences that I included in a podcast I did last year with Blake Marshall, and holy smokes, I had one guy private message me just to tell me I was an idiot, <laughs> you know, and uh, I didn't know what I was talking about, and I was just like, wow, haters. So, you know, well, but, if they think I'm an idiot, email me at Seymour at fishgame.com in advance of this podcast, and I'll be glad to discuss with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, well, here's, here's the deal, man. You just got to be honest. I'm tired of the, of the industry trying to censor thoughts. Yes. Because you can't say this and that. That's not a free exchange of information. That's you know? true. And we got to at least have different thoughts on, on this stuff. Just because I don't like something does not mean I'm for making it illegal, you know? You don't have I'm to not, like it. You know, exactly. I don't have to like I've, I've, I've hunted behind high fences many times for exotics, and I've killed whitetails, uh, but uh, management whitetails, stuff like that in the past. But, you know, my, my, my issue with it is only one thing, really, two things. Uh, it creates the illusion by how easy it is to kill one behind a high fence. Yes, it creates the illusion that that you just have that that you're not a good hunter, unless you have you know 14, you know monster bucks to your credit, yep. you know hang out on your wall or in your office or whatever, right? Yeah, that that thing. And then the other side of it is that the that the ranching side of things, the control that the wealthy landowner has over um, the whole idea of the sporting industry. That that part bugs me because I think there are voices that need to be heard, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my whole life, I've always heard and I believed that because Texas is 96%, there's a great things about being 96% privately owned. Yes. But however, the hunting access is not the best in Texas. No. That's why the that's why there's so many states that are smaller states that have nearly as many hunters as we have. Right. It's true. And we are the biggest hunting state, bar none. Right. But the reason some other states have such a healthy enthusiasm because they have healthy access. Yes. They've got public you know, land. If you they've live got in East Texas, land. you can hunt them. You're okay. You can hunt the National Forest. Right. Man. If you live out, you know, if you live out in Kerrville, right. you don't just, there's no public hunting. None. No. No, I've got a friend here in Central Texas with a guy I mentor, Michael Foster. He's been on the podcast before. He drove two hours to get to a deer hunting uh, area up near Waco. And I don't remember what area of the, of the state it is, but it's kind of north central Texas. And he said, man, this is the closest place we can get in central Texas because it's all private owned. And I said, welcome to Texas. He's from Michigan originally. And I said, you know, I don't like it any more than anybody else, but that's just the way that it is. I mean, you know. No, it's, it, my, I, didn't, I didn't even register public hunting as a reality until I was probably 17. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Because you know, the Type 2 program sort of was birthed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, there's a lease in some land. I didn't know about national forests and stuff back then. Right. I didn't hunt in those. My, my dad hunted out on leases, you know. And so it's just a different world. And I think I think that I would love for us to have more public hunting land, but it'll never happen. No, no, uh, nobody's gonna unless unless some of these landowners lease out, which has been happening with um, with Texas Parks and Wildlife. They've been uh, TPWD, I should say. Um, yeah. They've been they've you know had had some landowners lease out land to the state and that kind of stuff where they make public access and that kind of stuff, but that's not in real big great proportions. And every podcast I listen to about public land hunting or um, or you know stuff like that, I always hear these um, these horror stories in some cases of crud. This guy set up on top of us for our duck hunt, or these that's guys... happened on my private deer lease. I'm sure, <laughs> really. I have had entire feeders. 
and and Stan stolen on Pueblo on, on Deer Lease. Oh man. It shouldn't be I, like that. We gotta unite, you know. It's insanity. We can't be you know? stealing from each other, you know. So. It's crazy business, but that stuff happens. There are public the thing on public land is you have to go you have to be willing to go middle of nowhere. Right. You gotta be with them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the whole thing is if is if a hunter wants to go out and hunt and they are fishermen, if they want to go to a great the key to finding great fishing and great hunting is finding no people. Right. Go where others. You go to those Mex- some of those Mexican lakes. Right. Um, not nearly as much pressure as you have on like Sam Rayburn or a lake like that. And That's a good point. If Sam Ray, if, some, if they were to shut Sam Rayburn down fishing for two years, which I'm not suggesting, by the way, I don't want a bunch sure. of crankbaits on that. Yeah. We... Phone. But <laughs> the, if they open that thing back up, it would be unlike anything anyone because that lake has such incredible habitat, but it also has more fishing pressure. Right, and probably any other lake in America. That's a good point. Parks and Wildlife did a study, and they did a, ta- a long tagging study, and they and they found this blew my mind that one third of Rayburn's bass have been caught by tournament anglers every year. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> That's crazy. So the, the lake would go crazy. The same thing if the guys get out of these forest areas where nobody wants to go, they'll have a deer that are a little bit less wary, and they'll have more chances of finding big bugs and stuff like that. You know. Well, and you and I have talked, we've talked briefly on the show before about hog sanctuaries and having these national forests and places like that, places like that, that are licensed by the state or, you know, open, open for night hunting or open for camping and night hunting or something like that. But otherwise they're, they're fair game and the hogs will bet up during the day. I'm just bringing this up, you know, just cause I thought about it. Um, I don't agree with that, you know? Well, then it's a, it's a problem, you know, because uh, what's happening? I predicted, and I will may I will be glad to say I predicted this mm-hmm. that the next urban wildlife scourge is going to be hogs. Oh yeah, it, it's already and happening in some places, after, man. <laughs> after these floods in my own town of Orange, right in the city limits, all of a sudden one area is absolutely inundated with hogs. And what happens is, if it's an area that's got enough little green belts and little you know fields and stuff like that. There's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. They're not going to start shooting AR-15s in the city. Trapping has limited success. They're not going to turn some guy in his pit bulls loose. Nope. So they're there. So you got and crossbows and compound do. bows, and that's about it. I mean, and then you've got to go track them. A little bit of damage here, you know, but and th- that goes back to the point of the original point of the conversation that you brought me into this great conversation. I salute you for having open discussion like this is I love it. animals like a hog or a whitetail have instinct in them mm-hmm. that makes them thrive yes. in the face of pressure. Not just survive, thrive. Absolutely. Thrive. And that is such a worthy attribute yes. of an animal to just go, man, that is an incredible animal. The, the will to live and the will to survive. It's, it's put in there by the creator and it's working. It's just so magnificent to think. Do we have so many of those animals here in the great state of Texas? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, you know, you and I are so like-minded about some of this stuff, but ideally, you know, that that leaves more credibility to me of there being a creator behind all of it between you and me, Chester. You know, 
and and there being some some plan but it's it's a perseverance that i'm so honored by these deer and these hogs in texas uh and other, and elsewhere you know it's just amazing that they continually you know like you say grow in numbers and make more little ones you know hogs are very prolific i saw a hog mating another hog the la- one of the last time i was out hunting with my air gun i was like i can't believe right in the middle of the feeder and god and everybody they're just they're they're doing hog things you know making more, care, more hogs you know i heard i was on a one time and i heard like all hell breaking <laughs> and there were two boars fighting over a female oh boy so and they were one would mount her and the other one would knock it off and they oh fight. my gosh true story man i finally <laughs> shot one of the boars and uh and it was a pretty good size one you know but uh this was years ago about 12 13 years ago sure. in newton county but they don't <laughs> care man they'll just you know like look we're gonna do what we're gonna do and what you gonna do about it that's you right know? i'm gonna make and then odds. once again you will hear the cry of someone saying we can't stop the hogs on our property but if you want to come hunt them it's going to cost you a thousand dollars a hog yeah that's not right either and i mean you know the thing is and i work for you know danny berry and db hunting ranch um and i'm gonna have him on the podcast soon one of these days he agreed to be on and you know, the thing I've talked to him about, you know, if you, if you even charge $125 for a hog hunt, for instance, if people don't get their hog to go home, they throw a walleye hissy fit. And I'm like, it's 125 bucks. I know it's a lot of money. You know, it's still a lot of money to me. But, you know, at the same time, you can't expect you're going to have this giant gourmet dinner served for you and overnight lodging and everything for 125 bucks. You know, so they've slowed down on their hog hunts and they've made a couple of customers not too happy about it. But the bottom line there, Chester, is that, you know, I, I, I agree with you about the thousand dollar hog hunts with night vision and everything else because they need to have them eradicated from their property. I mean, there's some ranches and I'm not going to name any names that make a big deal about, well, hogs are running us over. You just Google hog hunting in Texas and you'll see ads for hogs are running us over. But, you know. You go to some of these places, they charge you to clean by the pound, Chester. Well, here's the thing. Some of these places that are railing against it stocked the hogs. Uh-huh. That's, I was going to mention that next. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're, of course they have hogs. Of course they're overrun. You put them there. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? Hey, we've had at Texas Fishing Game, we've had people from out of state contact us all the time. Yes, I've seen you write and, about this. Yep. And ask about this, and they'll be like, um, Hey man, you know. By the way, thank you. You're always quoting my articles. Thank you. But uh, I try, I'm man. Like, wow. I like one guy reads. Me I read your stuff. stuff. I read awesome. all your stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, Dustin, you're awesome. No, thanks, man. But um, but the reality is, people will think that they see these shows and read, read stuff. Well, I'm going to come sign up to eradicate the hogs in your state. I'm like, can you sign you. up your mortgage? Yeah. Maybe you know, maybe <laughs> your first child, right. and then you can come kill them. And they're like, what? And people are mind boggled from out oh, of sure. state that we're charging to kill now. It's free enterprise. I get it. You do what you want to do, but don't complain. Yes. You know, you know, don't be like, well, we're, we're, we're inundated. If you have a high fence and you put them there to begin with, yes, it's stupid to be, be honest. Like, Hey, we have lots of pigs. Come kill them. Cool. Right. Like, Hey, help conserve our ranch. And then you go out there. It was like a moonscape. Yeah. Like you woke up in an apocalyptic vision of post-nuclear America. (laughs) Exactly. And the only thing that survived were human hogs and the coolest eater. That's right. Cockroaches, hogs, and, uh, and, uh, and carp. (laughs) That's all that's left after the nuclear apocalypse. Any kind of hunting. So as long as it doesn't deplete the species. Sure. Let's go for it. You know, it's all to me about the, the conservation. And the reason I've risen up more 
into, and I've always won, been into conservation. I mean, I've won national awards for conservation, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason I want to do more on it is because I think that I think that the real concept of what it means is being lost. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think I think it's, it's being lost. A lot. I like that. Yeah. I got news: you growing a deer that's been in, that's got you know northern genetics and has been fed all this. And you paid a hundred thousand dollars for his dad or mom or whatever. Or and semen straw or whatever. Right. And putting my, that is not the conservation I'm talking about. Yes. I'm talking about making sure that that wonderful tract of land that natural now if that if hunting that deer keeps that land in good shape, I'm all for it. I see. That's what I'm saying. But there's a point now where people will check off their conservation box. Well, I belong to this association and you know, I've got big deer, and I'm managing my feeding protein. I'm a conservationist. No, I'm not. Nah. Um, I'm talking about people who would invest and spend money mm-hmm. and spend time on bringing back native vegetation and providing water for wildlife and doing tremendous things that happen out there. Even the small people on hunting leases that want to have better quail populations, they plant certain things, and they work on controlled burns. And all of that kind of stuff is what we need to get back to because it contributes to more wildlife, healthier wildlife, and healthier ecosystems and um right. we've got to do that and we got to recognize stuff like man, man if, if if most my favorite article i've ever written in my entire career was last may and that was one called the texas javelina massacre mm-hmm. yep i love that article too that was great. first off it's the coolest title in the history of articles for <laughs> funny um, <laughs> but um, it was about the warfarin deal you know poisoning hogs and i found some information doing research that boggled my mind. In the 1930s and 1940s, Havelina were healthy populations from southern Oklahoma down to where they're at now. Now there are no Havelina, almost none, north of San Antonio. That's true. You know, that's, that's, that's South Texas what, is where they're based out of. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they're declining the there. And the Parks and Wildlife Study said that the high fence ranches and deer management should boost javelina numbers, but they've drastically declined because a lot of the ranchers see them as a threat eating the protein and illegally. Yeah, and they and they promote people. I, I bet on places they said shoot everyone you see. Yeah, and that's not going to be good animal. for that species. Yeah, they that's are game not animal. conservation. Yep. No, that's not. No, but that's not every place. Don't get me wrong, you know. No, well, that's interesting. What I'm saying is that's the kind of stuff we need to get back to. Let's make sure our native wildlife is in great shape. Right. Not just the popular stuff, you know. Yeah, not just the stuff everybody goes. Because you're right. I mean, the lowly javelina, you know. I mean, and that's what I, I took out of that article more than anything was just your your whole point that we need to get to the bigger picture of conservation. And that's one thing you've inspired me to take on this show and talk about and that kind of stuff all the time, Chester, is I, I honor you so much for that that uh, mindset and that heart about conservation. You know, the Thanks, big man. picture for sure, you know. Thank you, man, because it's just, you know, I, I don't want to see a world where we go, well, you know, there are no javelina in Texas anymore. Yep. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want that day to come when we let a native species go. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, you know, and, and while you got me on the topic, um, you, can, you know. Getting you all you fired can, up here. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you let something like this happen. You let banning elephant tusk coming into America. Or banning lion imports or something like that. There's like a thousand people in America who go do that stuff. Yeah. 
there's not that many people that shoot elephants, right? Yeah. Not, not, you have to like own like a, you know, like Walmart to go do that. It costs yep. so much money, you know, yep. you know, and and there will be an outcry in the hunting industry, like, you know, like oh my God, the entire world's about to stop. Mm-hmm. But the javelina disappears and no one cares. Nobody cared about the poor javelina. Yeah. Nobody cares. You know, it's the same thing. It's like you got the freak out over the elephant thing. And then the tiger is getting, it's gone. I mean, there are 3,000 tigers, three to 5,000 tigers in the entirety of Asia now, of all subspecies mm-hmm. combined. And not, wow. a lot, not a lot's been done about it. And I'm thinking if the hunting industry wanted more good PR, they would take some of the money maybe they do on maybe. Some of these other things make their own surtax on shooting lions in Africa, yeah. help conserve lions. Because by the way, there's only twenty thousand lions left in the entire continent of Africa. Wow, um, I did not know that. Yep, and yeah, the hunting industry is not going to tell you that either. But uh, you know, then you could take and put that in tiger conservation. And you know, the one thing I will say, you're you know, you're Houston Safari Clubs and Dallas Safari Clubs, and to some extent SCI and different groups, they are getting really on board and have been with promoting pitch and pitching patrols in those yes, areas yes I've those things that. are huge but what i'm saying is we're worried about because you know some ultra high level guy or whatever you know can't get his elephant back the world will while feces right under our own nose are disappearing mm-hmm. yeah you know but I, I will say this if you want a great idea of how wildlife conservation works for the most part come to america mm-hmm. we've done it We've done it very well. I mean, to some degree, it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's right, better man. than a lot of places in the world. That's the voice of reason right there, brother. Yeah. And that's what I like about you, man. That, that's the, <laughs> I'll get all out of whack. You know, but uh, it's, not, it's not perfect, but we are the glowing example. However, I can't rest in good conscience knowing a problem's there and not addressing it. Mm-hmm. That's just wrong for the while. Nobody's going to stand up for that, you know, and – um, who knows what will happen down the road? What are other species that's huntable may have a problem because of uh, you know, maybe an invasive exotic or a disease outbreak, and then it won't be the popular one of the day, so no one cares anymore. You know, we just have to kind of you know, get back to, the, to whatever is working for the, for the, the environment. The Basics, it's right. the same thing. Uh, it's, it's just as bad on the, on the, wild, the non-hunting wildlife side. Right. No, you're right. Right, uh, my own blog at the Wildlife Journalist, man, I just wrote an article, a scathing article about the green movement, and it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Okay, the entire quote-unquote – and I'm on for the green – I love the idea of a green movement. Hey, let's be pro-environment. Dear God, we need to be. Sure. I said that one time with someone. Said, oh, my God, you must be an environmentalist hippie. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if I'll tell you this much. I said, first of all, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hippie. They're about love, love and peace. I'm a headbanger. We're more about death and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but uh, I used to use that in high school all the time. That's that was good. a great. Time. That's good. Me that. I used it a hundred times. That's but good. if hey, if if being against cancer causing agents in my water it makes me an environmentalist hippie, call mm-hmm. me that. Sure. You know, but what what they've missed it is everything is climate change now. Yes, and global warming and, and all that stuff. Billions yeah. of dollars, trillions of dollars, and it's all about the money, yeah. right? So you have things like the tiger. You can't. You just you can't do anything about climate change. Yeah. But they can make a lot of money. Yep. And then you have rain. Twenty five years ago, it was the rainforest. Well, that's a real issue because you can actually take and conserve rainforest and measure that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, they don't care about the rainforest anymore, even though that, that actually healthy rainforest contributes to less bad climate stuff. Huh. We don't want to talk about that because we can't build poor South American countries out of billions of dollars. We can build America and Europe out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the money. It's the hypocrisy level of these elites over there are letting endangered species go extinct under their watch. They used to care about because it's all about the climate change because they feel very important. And they can go to the Kyoto Accords and they can go get their awards on whatever mindless television show that they're part of, award show, and act like they're saving the climate while the animals that live in that climate are being wiped out by poaching and habitat. Yes, that's a very good point, Chester. And, you know, Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, I've brought this up on this podcast a few times. Times, he, he's often said the purpose of influence is to help those who have none. And, wow. you know, that's a very profound quote because, you know, those animals don't have an advocate unless we're that advocate. You know what I'm saying? That's true, man. And the habitat don't, the mountains don't, the, the streams don't. Right. You know, and we have to be that advocate because let me tell you something. My life would be radically different if my dad hadn't taken me hunting. Mm-hmm. Mine would too. And, and, and fishing. And if if the, if someone hadn't stepped in in the 1970s and stopped the wholesale slaughter of redfish, I would never have caught that first redfish. And I'm, and it, which was one, you know, and and and, and that was kind of what we went we went after. Alligator gar and redfish in front of me. Flounder populations are pretty down. Redfish had come back up. And if I hadn't caught that redfish, I don't know how hooked I would have been on the fish. Yeah, you know? I got you. And oh, yeah. You know, that was one of the things that helped me. But you know why? Because the guys who funded what's now CCA was then GCCA, they actually they actually cared. They cared about they the future actually, of that species, yeah. They actually cared enough to do something about it, and that was what it's about. And, and I don't have enough of a platform to be able to go, you know what? There are people out there, there are little boys and little girls, who just want the opportunity. Yes. Talk about that a lot. To be able to go out there in the woods and have a good old time. That's right. And you we know? it's our responsibility as adult hunters and fishermen to, you know, if it's your neighbor, and I talk about this all the time, if it's your neighbors, if it's your, um, you know, the, 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 the lady you work mm-hmm. with is a single mom, if it's, you know, yep. whatever, it's, it's about making that reach out. And uh, that's our job because th- this sport's declining. I talk about that all the time. But, you know, instilling the, and getting kids hooked on this stuff is what I'm all about. Yeah, that's really the ticket, man. I salute you for what you do in your program. Thank you. you show the work you do with kids that people don't even know about. You do out there with those kids, underprivileged kids. Sure. It shows that you're not a hypocrite. You're a guy out there doing it. And you are doing it in defiance of the apathy. Yes. So I thank you for that, and that's one of the great things about us both working for Texas Fishing Game is that the people who own the magazine that we work for actually do care about the resource and the people that are out there. So it's been a great time. I've had a great time with you, man. Thanks so much for joining us, Chester. I really appreciate it. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chester Moore Jr. of Texas Fish and Game. He is our editor-in-chief as well as our, uh, he's an author of several different outdoor publications, outdoor books, and uh, one of the key people that I call about wildlife advice and uh, species and biology and different things like that that Chester's talked about over the years. Uh, I've just learned a ton from this guy and uh, really dear to my heart and uh, really had a good time talking to him on the show today uh, about everything. So 
If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please do so. It is free. You get a new show every two weeks. We're going to do, do some format changes in the next couple of shows, especially when we're at Shot Week, uh, which is going to be, I think, the third week of January, as it turns out. And uh, basically... We're going to be having a lot of fun on that show, um, or on, on, uh, several shows. I think we're going to do at least one or two, maybe a few, uh, show recap every day of different things that we saw at the at the SHOT Show and things like that that kind of engage with us um, and uh, and we thought would be worthy of listening, uh, worthy of talking about on the show, I should say. So, uh, and forgive me if you hear um, all kinds of background noise because this whole show is being recorded close to a county road that I live on. And uh, we've got about 100 yards of privacy fence between us and the road, but it is kind of noisy out here sometimes. So anyway, I love the outdoors, love to listen to nature out here when I'm talking on the phone and recording this podcast. And uh, really, really appreciate you guys watching, reading, and listening. Check out the December issue if you've not done so already. There's a ton of awesome stuff. There's also an article that I wrote called Crossbows for Christmas, which is all about crossbows. And I mentioned Barnett crossbows, which you know if you listen to the show at all. Uh, that's one of the brands that I shoot in the next caliber who just did a program with a striker who just did a program with us. We talk about compound crossbows. We talk about, um, you know, recurves, reverse limbs, all those different types of crossbows that are out there. Um, and even some of the fastest crossbows in the world. So if you've not read that story yet, it's in Texas fishing game. It's a good story, I think, cause I wrote it <laughs> and for a, you know, very inexpensive to get a subscription uh, to that magazine and, uh, really appreciate you guys uh, supporting us over the year in the show. And if you have a sponsor in mind and you want to tell about the best of the outdoors, I'm in advertising sales. I'm always looking for sponsors for this kind of, uh, please tell them to get in touch with me. Uh, you can uh, call me or email me through dustinsprojects.com for free. And, um, obviously it's a free website that has all my hunting videos and articles and blogs and podcasts and all kinds of links to all kinds of all my content. But you can email me through there if you've got somebody you've got in mind that you'd like to hear about on the show as far as the sponsor goes. And uh, if you just got some show ideas, just email me, dustinsprojects.com. And uh, if you want a subscription to Texas Fishing Game, it's fishgame.com. We also have a blog. We have three newsletters, which I talk about just about every episode. Uh, Tactical Tuesday is now it's called Tactical and Practical Tuesday. Uh, Wildlife Wednesday and the Thursday Texas State of the Outdoor Nation newsletter. Three different newsletters to get signed up on there. And we have a lot of fun on those newsletters just blasting out content that's going to be educational and inspirational and motivational for you. Just kind of like we do with this podcast. Um, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to bring it all to you and be, be part of all of it. Uh, it's a kind of a dream come true for me. And like I've said before, this whole podcasting thing, man, I mean, I've dreamed of doing this uh, for many years and to be able to share this message with you of hope and inspiration in the outdoor lifestyle and, uh, and everything that, that comes with the outdoors. My whole goal is to make it accessible. My whole goal is to, um, is to talk about conservation and, and kids and getting kids involved and, and that kind of stuff in the outdoor sports. I mean, that's really where my heart is. And I guess you've seen this if you, or you've heard this rather, if you listen to the show for very long, uh, that's really where I'm at on that. So anyway, thanks a lot for your support and uh, supporting that, uh, that mindset. And thank you so much again for, uh, for tuning in today. Have an awesome day in the outdoors. We'll see you next time.